The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. From Philippians chapter 3, Paul speaking, For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let's pray. Well, this is the Apostle Paul's experience. You've written it down for us off of his pen, off of his lips to to teach us and to give us something with which we can resonate and it is a glorious reality. That a life full of much, Paul had a life full of much, we have lives often full of much. But a life full of much set aside by comparison, counted as rubbish, compared to this great treasure, Christ. So Paul writes about, that's what we sang about, and that's what we come around to eventually in our passage that we're going to look at today in Luke. So I pray, Father, that you would cause this testimony to resonate in us that compared to everything else, he is the treasure, Christ in us. He is the hope of glory, Christ in us. Thank you for making that real, for making that possible now, and for opening our eyes to see it, to see it as wonderful. We have been there, Lord, and I pray that you would take us there again this morning, that you would Pour out your spirit here on our gathering, on those who are listening, that you would move us towards sight, that you would this morning reveal just a little bit more. You would show us again the treasure. You would show us who he is, what he is, and the privilege that it is to know him and to walk with him, to serve him, to make him known. Cause that to resonate in us, Lord. Cause it to stir us. And then, Lord, lead us out from here. We look to you for this. We, we can't make it happen with words. We can't make it happen with, with music. You can make it happen by your spirit. And so we ask you, Lord, move by your spirit in us and make us a new people. Renew our minds and transform us. Take your word here in Luke cause it to run, make it clear, give us ears to hear, and I pray, renew us. Thank you. Make the passage clear this morning. Lord, if there's any barrier in our hearts and in our midst here, if there's any sin barrier or any physical barrier distraction, would you clear it away? Would you cause us to settle in the presence of your spirit and then speak to us? 
Thank you for your goodness. Would you please build your church this morning? Would you honor the name of Jesus here and then through us out there in all the places to which you call us? Thank you, Lord. We love you and we trust you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn our attention this morning to the middle of Luke chapter 10, where we conclude the account of the sending of the 72, as I hope somebody turned the lights on. As we have seen, Jesus appointed and sent out this large group of witnesses, preparing the way for him in the many places where he was going. And as he sent them, he employed this agricultural analogy of laborers in the harvest, explaining some of what the job is and some of what the, the time is. We, we live in a time. They lived in a time, and we still live in that same time. In God's redemptive history, he has moved the time, and now is the, the period of the harvest, an ingathering. And that tells us what's going on, and it tells us what we are to be doing. Uh, harvesting. On a farm, harvesting produces focus, produces joy, because it's about promises. You sowed many months ago, and, and now you're going to reap promise fulfilled. That's the analogy he uses, and overall it is, it is an, a positive one. Christians are raised up as laborers, and he sends us out, and there is a harvest, and it will be brought in. As we proclaim the kingdom, people will hear the voice of God in our words and will come. Overall, it's positive. But he also casts it in a realistic context. It's not all positive because there are going to be people who will hear and who will reject. So he's clear about that as well. There is there is a world out there in which some will hear and come and some will hear and, and not come. And he's clear the consequences of such rejection are real and they are dreadful. He clarifies that and then sends them out. And then as we saw last week, they all come back and they return with great joy. They're full of great joy, both the laborers, the group of laborers, and Jesus himself. And the tone struck there was exuberant joy, celebration, based on two things. Ministry success, first of all, they did see the kingdom come. They saw Satan's kingdom fall. We see that, uh, I stated there, Bob read it, I saw Satan fall like lightning. They, they saw ministry success, demons subjected to them, people drawn in. So that's a cause for joy, but not ultimately the one that Jesus wants them to root their joy in. You heard it read already. Don't rejoice in that, but rather rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. He ultimately points us towards our salvation. That's what we are to be aware of, that, that each of us, Christian, you in particular, you, not just Christians, you, you in particular, Rejoice that God saved you by a unified work of the triune God, God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. We looked at this all last week. God the Father choosing to reveal to you in particular, and then as time went on, the Son in particular place, in particular time, choosing to reveal to you by the work of his Spirit, making the gospel clear. And so you hear it and you come. Rejoice in that. Jesus does, in fact. Full of the Holy Spirit, he rejoices exuberantly that that's how God saves. And that God saves. It is amazing grace. 
and the context of the ministry's success, that is an amazing move of God. It all is amazing. It, it's amazing that we get to be involved in this amazing thing, which is what brings us to the passage today. This all is amazing, and then the fact that we get to be involved in it is itself amazing. That's the, the conclusion of the sending out of the 72. We look at this today, the last two verses. Let me read them, and then I'm going to draw two, two um, main points from them, two observations. This is the very end of the story, verses 23 and 24. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That's the conclusion of this story. Two observations. Here's the first one. And this is very lopsided. So the first one is, 85% of the time, and the second one is 15%. You might call it observation and application. Here's the first one. New Testament believers are privileged to live in this stage of God's redemptive work. So New Testament believers, us, we who live now after the coming of Christ, we are privileged to live in this stage of God's redemptive work. Verse 23, Jesus turns to speak to the disciples. The previous verses he'd spoken either are directed to God the Father or have no particular audience mentioned, just general comments. But this is to his disciples, which in the context of the story is the whole big group that he sent out. So he's speaking to Christians about something that Christians experience. Blessed are the eyes. Blessed, that is, delighted because of what's come upon you, happy, fortunate, blessed. It's a good thing. Blessed are the eyes that see what you are seeing. And, and grammatically, there's, there's a continuation feel to that. He's not just talking about something that they saw once and only once in the past. He's talking about something that they saw and are seeing. So it had a a beginning, and then it's still happening. They are still encountering it. So what he means is you are so very fortunate. You who have started to and continue to experience this. You're a part of this. Part of what? What are they fortunate about? What are they blessed to experience? Well, given what he just said in the previous verses, you might expect him to say something about their personal salvation. Clearly, that is a blessing. But he goes in a different direction, and to follow him, it's helpful to notice that this is the whole story of the 72. He called and sent them out at the beginning. Now here, this is the concluding remarks. It's about the whole event. This is like the summary debrief. Let's get the whole event in view here. What did they just see in, in the whole event? They saw the messianic kingdom of God come. They saw it coming, and they saw it growing, expanding in, in them, in us personally, as we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus out in the mission, as they just did, and they saw that happen. And since 
It's, the, it's this time right now that has begun, and it doesn't end. It didn't end when they came home. It's, they are seeing it. It is ongoing. The kingdom comes and expands, comes to new places, to new depths. That's what they just saw. And he says, so fortunate are we to see it. It's blessed. That's the emphasis here. Not just on what it was, but how good fortune has come to us because we got to be a part of this. For, verse 24, because many prophets and kings desired to see and hear what you see and hear. They, they longed to experience it, but they didn't. They never did. Prophets and kings. He's talking about the big names of the past. So think Moses, Samuel, David, Solomon, Daniel, Isaiah. Prophets and kings. Powerful and godly leaders. The heroes of the Old Testament. So he's talking about. So now you... You're not either of those categories. But do, Christian, I'm talking to Christian, do you realize, whoever you are, you, you're a plain old ordinary Christian. You go to work every day, you sit in your boring cubicle and deal with the stuff on your computer. Mind-numbing. Or you wrestle with kids in carpool, or you struggle with going to class every day. Whatever it is, Christian, that, that you do, do you realize That's you. In a very real way, Moses envies you. Stop and think about that. Samuel and David, arm in arm, they, they were together in history. Samuel and David, arm in arm, stand noses against the glass, so to speak, looking at you, longing. You, in your boring cubicle, dealing with whatever you're dealing with. Moses and Samuel and David, oh, oh, oh. They envy you. Not because you have indoor plumbing and antibiotics. Because you get to live now. And now, not because of indoor plumbing and antibiotics, because you get to live now. You get to live. They envy you because you have been privileged to live in this stage of God's redemptive work. They never saw the kingdom of God. They knew of it. They knew it was coming. They longed for it, but they never saw it and they never experienced it, which doesn't mean that they weren't saved, they didn't have a relationship with God. Absolutely, they did. Read the Psalms. We see that clearly. But they were keenly aware that they lived in an era of promise that by the nature of promise, says, yes, this is good, but there is something. They lived in an era, they knew it was promise, not fulfillment. They knew God, but they also knew they had less in, in many ways. They had, they had less. God was less engaged with them. God was less clear to them. God was not as near to them all. Displayed very clearly by, by the temple structure itself, with its inner courts and its big temple of division, here, you come, and God's on the other side. There was a clear less of God, and they knew it. 
And they eagerly longed for and tried to figure out and look ahead and, and understand what was going to happen in the future and when and in whom. But they knew we have something but not what is yet to be. They never experienced it, but you have. This is the era of fulfillment. We take so much of this for granted, but think about what it is now. This is the era of the king and his kingdom come. Is there more to come? Yeah, for sure. That's why we pray, your kingdom come. But we're praying in the kingdom. The kingdom has already come. God's long-stated promise to send Messiah, to send the Christ, has already happened. It's been fulfilled. And while there's more to come, he's going to wrap up what he has started. There is so much that has already been started. We see it all around us. The coming of this king has meant so much. His rule has come. His rule goes out. His name is spread. This is his time. It is the era of the kingdom come, which means it is the era in which Satan's kingdom is cast down. Jesus has said this in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning. His demons are trod under the feet of the servants of this kingdom. Do you realize we have a unique power now? We now, in his name, tell demons to flee, and they must in his name. It is the era in which his kingdom is undone, and we cannot be hurt. Jesus said that much. Our enemies are defeated. And so then it is the era of successful harvest in gathering. The king has begun to raid this so-called strong man's house. The king sends out his servants and we go in his name and we set aside all those who would stop us and we speak and in our voice he is speaking, and he gathers in whomever, whenever, however he pleases. It is the time of harvest, and he does bring people in. He leads us out. He protects us as we go. He provides our wages. He guides our step. He speaks through our voice. He gives us his spirit power. He said all of that to them as they went out in verses 2 to 8. He has a chosen people that he is bringing in, seeking them out, and certainly saving them. The harvest exists, and it is brought in. And once brought in, these people find that it is also the era of righteousness and justice placed within. Think about this. The law of God no longer stands outside of us, but is actually written on our hearts now. Righteousness and justice is the foundation of his throne. And as this king comes and takes up his throne within, he writes righteousness and justice into us and begins to change us personally and to change us corporately, pressing the law not outside, but pressing the law into our midst. This is a sweet and good and right thing that righteousness and justice would become us now. Renewal takes place. We become different people. A reversal of fortunes takes place, and no longer do the high and the mighty reign, but the lowly are lifted up. We find favor. We find favor with God, and the lowly are lifted up. 
We become righteous and just as the law is written on our hearts, written on the hearts of this people in this kingdom. And as we look around, we realize that it is the era of the new people of God. No longer determined by ethnicity or birth or privilege, there are no longer any dividing walls between people. We are one new people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, black and white and brown, and however many other colors there are. We are brought together in Christ and made one new people. And what happens when this people is brought together is not detente. It is shalom. It is peace. It is wholeness and it is rest. It is community. Sweet, righteous, just, good, loving community. Peace between people. Because it is the era of profound, lasting peace with God. This kingdom has come built on the blood of the king who took up his throne after he died, not before it. He was crucified for our sins and raised for our justification. Our sins have been nailed to the cross and set aside, paid for, no longer postponed, paid for. All of them. There is no longer the shedding of the blood of animals saying, one more year, one more month, one more day, we wait, we postpone. It is finished in this era. And so our sins set aside at the cross and he comes out of the grave, raised for our justification to prove it. We are at peace with God. Declared justified. That is not guilty in the court of God Almighty. This is no legal fiction. It is the righteousness of God given to us as Christ the King dies in our place. We are at peace with Him, no longer under any condemnation, not now, not ever, forever and ever. Amen. There is no longer any waiting. It has happened. It is the era of peace with God, and so then it is the era in which we are freed to worship God in spirit and in truth bondage broken off. We are no longer enslaved to the curse. Whew. That is good news. We are free to worship Him, this great God, in spirit and in truth. These truths are known to us. They are revealed to us by God as His Spirit presses them into us. We see the amazing grace of the cross that saved a wretch like me, wretches like us. We see the truth of how he removes guilt and delivers us into glory, all of it undeserved. We see the truth and we worship him for it in the Spirit because this is also the era of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Do you see the glory of that? That it is the era of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. Indeed, in the past, the Spirit was active, but not like now. Not since Pentecost. We don't have everything yet, but we have this down payment that says we will receive fullness to come. And this down payment now is marvelous. The Spirit of God, God Himself, dwells within us. He's here within us. 
given to assure us that we belong to God, given to teach us what God says, given to carry out what God reveals in us, given to make us new, given to illumine truth. The Spirit fills us and He controls our minds. And as He controls our minds, what He does is He causes us to see God like God sees God, to see us like God sees us, to see the world like God sees the world, to value what God values, to love what God loves, to hate what God hates, to treasure what He treasures, to behave like He behaves. This is the Spirit at work in you, making you a new person in a new way that was unknown in the past. It is the ministry of the Holy Spirit now since Pentecost, indwelling the people of God, renewing us day by day, and as we trust Him, filling us and giving us power for ministry. We enjoy the ministry of the Holy Spirit now in this ultimate way then. The powerful Spirit in our hearts produces joy in us as He brings the presence of God to us. This is the era. How sweet this is. This is the era of Christ in us, the hope of glory. We may think of all those other things. It is the era of the kingdom come. That is, it is the era of Satan's kingdom undone. It is the era of the harvest brought in. It is the era of righteousness and justice pressed into us. It is the era of one new people of God at peace with each other. It is the era of peace between this people and God. It is the era of being freed to worship him in spirit and in truth. It is the era of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on us. All of that sits under. It is the era of Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is that to which Paul compares everything else in his life and says, that's nice, I don't want any of it. I want Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is what life is about, to live as Christ. And you have him in you. Now, do you realize this? This time is special. This is the era in which the whole treasure of God has been backed up, the tr truck bed lifted and dumped into your life. To know Him, to know Him who is good, not who behaves good, who is goodness. To know him who himself is light and life. To know him who is righteous. To know him who is peace. To know him who is love. Dwelling in you. To walk with you and to talk with you like a friend. To be trusted like a good father. To be labored with like a strong brother. To be sheltered by like a good husband. This is the hope of glory which we so often just assume all those things but you must realize, you must realize Moses wishes desperately he was you because of this. This is what Samuel and David look through the window at and say, oh, how fortunate those people are. 
They have all of that, which I knew, sort of knew, was coming. They have it. They experience it. They live in it. It's the water in which they swim. It's the air that they breathe. They dreamed of it, and they prophesied about it, and they tried to mimic it in some ways, but they never knew it like you do. You are a fortunate people to live in this era, in this period of God's redemptive work, to not look at promises, but to look at fulfillment. And what is amazing is that in all of this fulfillment, we can still look at promises because this is going to get ramped up even more. Blessed are the eyes that see what your eyes see. Fortunate are you to experience this, this era, this period now. Kings and prophets wished to see it, but they didn't. You do. And this should cause rejoicing in us. It should cause rejoicing in us. It causes a little bit of envy in them, and it should cause rejoicing in us. And it does raise a question, though. Why is this here? Why is this note of envy about what our eyes see, why is that struck here at this point? That brings us to the second observation. Before I go to the second observation, do you realize why? Do you realize why I spend the time walking through all that this era means? Because that has to shape us. It, it's so very often we. We aren't shaped by that which other people are floored by. That the big names of the Bible are floored by. This, this has to come and rest on us in a way that makes our jaws kind of, that's amazing. And he puts it here for a reason. Here's a second observation. We are privileged to participate in the mission of building this kingdom. That kingdom I was just talking about. We are privileged to participate in the mission of building it. So the first observation is about how we're privileged to live in it. That's what they saw. They were experiencing that. Sage where God finally brings about the fulfillment of all those promises. They saw that. But what did they also just unavoidably notice? That Jesus himself did not physically go out into all those towns and places where they went. 
And Jesus himself didn't physically himself bring the kingdom of God near, like they said twice up in the second paragraph. And Jesus himself didn't speak against illness and against demons and about the offer of peace, about life under the king's reign. That all happened. They came back rejoicing because it happened, and they saw it, they experienced it. But what did they say? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. It all happened through them. Through them. That's what they saw. They are absolutely clearly Christ-centered, demons subject to us in your name, but they're subject to us in your name. Blessed are the eyes that see that. That this kingdom comes and grows in the power of the king through you. Fortunate, blessed, fortunate is the woman who gets to see peace with God come to a household as she ministers in my name. Fortunate is the man who gets to see the kingdom of God come upon a young person in a Sunday school class as he teaches in my name in the power of the Spirit and that child's eyes are opened. Fortunate is the person who gets to see the kingdom of God draw near as she speaks and is rejected. Still carrying the kingdom. Blessed are you when you see the kingdom come and my power through you in those and in countless other ways. The privilege in view here is more than just living in that era. More than just living in it. It's about seeing that kingdom built up through us privileged to participate in the mission of building this kingdom. That's why Jesus especially mentions kings and prophets, not just ordinary people. Those are the ones that you would think, if anybody can do it, those would be the ones who would preach in and who would rule in the kingdom. They're the great prophets. They're the great kings. But they didn't. They couldn't. Little you can. Think about that. Now, I am, I am clearly 150,000%. It is Christ in us. Christ in us. That is amazing. It wasn't Christ in David. It wasn't Christ in Samuel. It's Christ in you. Christ through you. Who are we? I'm not, I'm not even talking about like the, like the big name pro, pastor, teacher, whatever guys that you can think of in America or in the world. I'm talking about us. That is remarkable. That that kingdom, all that I was belaboring perhaps in the first point, all of that, it comes and it expands and it spreads through you. That's what Jesus, that's what Luke means to express here, which is why he spends 24 verses telling us this story. Concluding with a note of envy. Oh, Moses wishes he was you. 
We get to live in this period now, and we get to labor in this period now. That is a privilege that we get to walk out into the world and see the kingdom of God spread off our lips, off our hands. That is amazing. As we give up ourselves, deny ourselves, take up our cross, as we lay ourselves down and follow him into mission, we see that he uses us to build his kingdom, to build that kingdom. And that is an amazing thing. So let us, here's the application piece, let us not look at Jesus' call to mission, his call on us, which we have seen so much of because it is all over this book. If you feel like I'm mentioning this a lot, I feel like I'm mentioning this a lot because I'm finding it everywhere. It is really heavy in chapter 6. It is really heavy in chapter 9. It is really heavy here in chapter 10. It is how he expresses discipleship. Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. That's what you're doing. Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. It's all over this book. And let us hear that, not... Not as a burden. Let's hear that not as a burden, but as the privilege that it is. We are inclined to see it as a burden. Just say the word evangelism out loud, and a bunch of us go, <laughs> we cringe a little bit. I have to. Some of that cringe, I think, so this, this may be encouraging to you. Some of that cringe, I suspect, comes about because we have done or have been taught to do the work of evangelism in some really counterproductive, awkward ways. I had somebody once express to me how a whole bunch of our evangelism feels to non-believers around us like this. Out of the blue, he's sitting with me at dinner. He's a Christian, by the way. Out of the blue, he says, so how's your colon doing? Pardon me? <laughs> we're at dinner and we're suddenly talking about my colon? That, yeah, that's how evangelism feels to a lot of people. How we do it. Totally awkward and inappropriate. And some of why we cringe is that we sense that. And we feel like, well, that's what the pastor said to do. So how's your colon doing? Oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm saying this. No. We can get rid of some of the awkwardness and some of the cringe by, by not doing that anymore, by, by stopping methods that are awkward and that are counterproductive, that are very preachy, that are very canned, that are artificial, that are not built on any sort of relationship or any sort of love. So avoid that. But some of the cringe comes from the opposition that we know we're going to encounter, the rejection we know we're going to encounter, the, the labor we know it's going to cost us, the fact that it's going to make me set aside some of my own personal time that I want to do something else with and I'm going to have to commit it to, have to, commit it to Christ's mission that he calls me into. The answer to that is to see, oh my goodness, it is the era of the kingdom and you are privileged to be alive in it and to be able to speak of it and to experience it as you speak of it. It is a privilege, not a burden. 
I can say that, but that won't, it won't feel like a privilege and a burden unless observation number one feels like a privilege to you. That's why I went so long in the first observation, because that must feel like a privilege to you. You must stand there yourself and say, oh, and your mouth fall open at it a little bit. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to love people in Christ's name. It's a privilege to lay down our life for him and for them. Why is it a privilege? Well, he told us, didn't he? Because you'll find your life if you lose it. You'll find your life. I promise you, you will find your life if you lose it. But I also tell you, try to hold on to it and you're going to lose it. You can't keep it. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Was there there any reluctance or hesitation towards mission or outreach or evangelism or ministry or service of any sort that requires us to lay down our lives and give time and give energy to pray, to give focused effort in this labor of harvest. Wherever any mm, angst, tension, hesitation exists, the response, what must happen right at that point, is not just a suck it up and muscle through, but instead it is a Spirit of God, in this era you live in me, would you cause me to see the kingdom like God sees the kingdom? Spirit of God, you live in me, would you cause me to see the king in all of his glory like he is? Would you cause me to see people as lost as they are? Would you cause me to see all the things that I'm holding on to as passing away and inconsequential and rubbish by comparison to knowing him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering? Cause me to see that spirit of God. That's where we have to turn. We feel that, uh, I don't know. Don't muscle through. Spirit, teach me. Spirit, illumine my eyes. Reveal to me who he is and who I am and what's going on. To see that he makes his appeal to the world. Be reconciled to God through us. And that this appeal will succeed because he has a people that he is gathering in Certainly and surely. That he sends us out and he goes with us. He goes with you. Dwelling within you. Christ, the hope of glory. You are a privileged person to live in this kingdom now and to serve, to participate in the building of this kingdom now. First one drives the second. May the Spirit of God open your eyes and reveal to you the wonder and the privilege of life now with Christ. Let me pray. Lord, you must open our eyes to what is important and to what is real, to the one who is the treasure. So, Spirit, would you please do that work? Illumine us. And in illumining, 
Would you please then deploy us as laborers into the harvest? That is our prayer. Would you raise up laborers and send them out? At the beginning of this account, that's what Jesus told us to do first, to pray that you would raise up laborers. And so I pray now, Lord, would you use this, your word, to raise up laborers in the midst of this marvelous kingdom for the sake of this glorious king in love of those all around us who don't know him. Use us. There are countless ways, Lord, you will use us. Give us opportunities to speak the gospel in all of its clarity or to simply live as people who love you and everything in between. Use us to build your kingdom, please. And thank you, thank you, thank you for putting us in it. In the name of the King, in his glory we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.